0: In the '80s, uh, that culturally shaping icon of a decade, and uh, in the '80s, especially in the summer, but not just during the summer, your your soundtrack often consisted of the huge song that went with whatever movie had just come out. Like some of us hear an '80s song, and we immediately remember what movie it's from, who we went to the movie with, what summer it came out. Because in the 80s, movies had these iconic songs that went with them. And I know today, movies have soundtracks, but in the 80s, songs kind of stamped a movie. You kind of knew this was the movie that it came from. I went to see Top Gun Maverick about a month ago with some of my friends from here, Uh, At Journey, and uh, just minor spoiler alert, not big spoiler alert, but minor spoiler alert uh, there was one thing I needed from Top Gun Maverick, only one thing that I needed, and it had nothing to do with the plot. I didn't care what the plot was, Um, I didn't care what Maverick had been doing the past 25 years or how they bridged movie one to movie two. I didn't care who the enemy was, I didn't care who lived, I didn't care who died. I needed one thing I needed to hear Kenny Loggins sing Danger Zone and if you've seen the movie if you haven't spoiler alert if you've seen the movie at the very beginning Kenny Loggins starts singing I could have left like right then I would have been satisfied paid my money walked out I got everything I wanted to get when I heard Kenny Loggins sing like that's the way the 80s were there was just these iconic songs especially power ballads right the 80s are kind of known for power ballads and and 80s movies especially known for this imprinting of a power ballad here are some of them against all odds by phil collins st elmo's fire she liked the wind glory of love by peter satara and karate kid 2. that one song's better than the whole movie But you know, summer movie, Karate Kid 2, Glory of Love, Don't You Forget About Me from the Breakfast Club, Heaven in Your Eyes from Top Gun. Come on, a few things bring us together. A few things unite us like an 80s power ballad. Like We stand and sing and we sway because it's the soundtrack of a part of our life. If If you're new, we're in this series called Summer Soundtracks. And we're talking about songs from the Bible, from the Psalms, right? In the middle of the Bible is this, this song book uh, and we're lifting various songs out of it and studying them as our summer soundtrack. I want to I study today a power ballad. What I, what I believe is a power ballad from the Psalms. It's full of heart and emotion and desire and longing. And, and, and the, the guys who wrote this song uh, they, their desire and their yearning and their longing was not for a person; like they weren't in love with another person. They're not. They're not writing this to their girlfriend or, or to their wife. They're writing a power ballad about a place, a specific place that they just couldn't wait to get to. Psalm chapter eighty-four. If you want to find it in your Bible, when you get there, uh, you'll probably notice. There's a note at the beginning of Psalm 84. In my Bible, it reads like this. For the director of music, according to gatith. Now, we don't know what gatith is, right? We think it's a musical term. It may mean uh, a particular style, like this is how you're supposed to play this song when you, when you worship to this song. It should be played like this. And so it, it gave some instruction to the musicians. It may have been a musical instrument. This song was written to be played on the getith, whatever the getith is. You should play it on this every time you worship. But we don't know exactly what it is, some musical term. And then right after that, it says, Of the sons of Korah, a psalm. Often when we think of the psalms, we equate the psalms with David. And there's good reason for that. David wrote most of the psalms. But David didn't write all of the psalms. Uh, there's a group of people called the Sons of Korah. We'll come back and talk about them in just a little bit. The Sons of Korah, depending on who you believe, they wrote at least 11 of the Psalms, maybe 12, maybe 13, something in that range. But as a group, they were called the Sons of Korah. Right? That's not their boy band name, even though I posted that on Facebook yesterday. Uh, they weren't a southern gospel quartet with blue suits and a bus. It wasn't that. They they were a part of the same family. They were literally descendants of a guy named Korah, sons of Korah, right? Very literal in what they called themselves. This is how they start this power ballad, Psalm 84. I'm going to read the whole first section, which is about four verses, and then we'll talk about each one, and then then we'll keep moving. The sons of Korah write, How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow, a nest for herself, where she may have her young, a place near your altar, Lord Almighty, my God, my King, and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Two weeks ago... We talked about a collection of 15 psalms that we refer to as the songs of ascent. We said they're traveling songs, right? These are the songs that the uh, Hebrews, the Israelites, would sing when they were traveling back to Jerusalem for a major feast or traveling back to worship. Psalm 84 is not a traveling song. It's a thinking about traveling song, right? you got traveling songs, and then you have thinking about traveling songs. I just got back from vacation yesterday, if you couldn't tell, brought a little vacation back with me, trying to make it last as long as it can last, right? And some of you are like me. You come back from vacation, and the first thing you do is start thinking about when you can take another vacation, right? You get back from the beach, and you think, okay, when can we go back to the beach? You you come back from the mountains, and well, you know, in a couple of weeks, we could probably go back up to the mountains for... Another trip. You get back from vacation and you're not going on another vacation, but you're thinking about going on another vacation, right? Enneagram Sevens in the house, if you're not sure if you're an Enneagram Seven, Enneagram Sevens are always thinking about the next adventure they're going to take, the next place they're going to visit, the next new thing they're going to go do that they've never done before, the next new city they're going to go visit. They're always thinking about the next thing. Some of you, going on a trip is disappointing because then you can no longer anticipate going on that trip, right? You're kind of disappointed when you get there because you can't anticipate going there anymore. Somebody put this, I've seen this from time to time on uh, social media or on the internet. Somebody said, instead of wondering when your next vacation is, maybe you should set up a life you don't need to escape from. That's dumb. Like, I don't, I don't know who wrote this, but they're dumb, right? I rebuke that. I re, and I'm not a big rebuker. If you come to our church, like, I don't just rebuke things. This should be rebuked. Because there's something so good about getting back from a trip and thinking, hey, you know, a couple of months, we're, let's, let's put this on the calendar. Let's go here. The sons of Korah, they're not going anywhere. They're just thinking about going somewhere. And the place they're thinking about going is the house of God, the temple, the place of worship, the, the place where the presence of God was tangible and real, and they would join with the people of God, and they would sing, and they would pray, and they would study the Scripture, and they would bring their offerings and their, their sacrifices. And the sons of Car, they're not going there right now, but on their heart is like, I can't wait to go again. I can't wait to get back in the presence of God. And, and, and look, I get it. God is everywhere, He's omnipresent. God is always with us. But they knew what we know is that there is something about gathering with the people of God in the presence of God that multiplies our sense of God's presence. There's, there's something about singing a worship song and hearing somebody else singing that song with me. There's something about praying and hearing the whispered voices of other people around me praying to the same God that I'm praying to. There's something about opening our Bible all to the same passage and saying, "Let's, let's get something from God out of this passage. They understood that there was something powerful about the gathered presence of God's people the embodied worship of God's people for God and they say I, I can't i can't wait to be there again i can't wait like i'm thinking about this all of the time i'm i'm anxious to get back they start their power ballad with that phrase we read how lovely is your dwelling place lord oh my, how lovely and they don't mean uh, it's decorated nice. They, they don't mean, oh, what a lovely place this is. You've, you've, I love what you've done with the place. That's, that's not what they mean. They mean lovely in the sense of they love it. They love, Like, I, I'm just in love with being in your presence with your people, God. I just love showing up to that place, and I'm not there right now, but I can't wait to get back there because I know God's going to be there and God's people are going to be there, and we're going to share our stories and our journeys together. We're going to sit shoulder to shoulder. I love it when I'm there. I, I love that place. And listen to the desperation we read. My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh, they cry out to god like he's desperate i, I, I just want to be in your presence god i want i want to sense you with your people as we sing i i, I want to be there and he's i won't read it again but he, he's kind of jealous of the sparrows of the birds right because he says that the birds they make their nest right there in your temple god they're there all the time i want to be like that kind of jealous that they get to hang out at your house all of the time. I wish I could live there. How lovely. How beautiful. How how refreshing and encouraging it is to be in your house. And he says in verse 4, blessed are those who dwell in your house. Like happy, fulfilled, satisfied are those who love to be in your presence, God. Those who love to be in your house. Those, those who love to come in your presence and in the presence of of your people like they're blessed they're happy they're they're satisfied then depending on the translation that you have after verse four and again after verse eight there's a little word it's the word selah the niv takes it out except for in the footnote if you have an niv uh a newer niv it's probably in a footnote but it might not be in the the chapter itself And I understand why they take it out. The NIV chooses to take it out because we don't exactly know what it means. Kind of like geteeth, right? We don't really know what this word means. There's a couple of guesses. Uh, One guess is like geteeth, it's a musical term. But even in the musical term idea, uh, there's a couple of different definitions of it. Some people think it means to pause, Right, just take a break right there. You're singing, you're worshiping. We're just going to stretch this out for a minute. We're just, we're just going to pause. Um, other people think it means to pause for a musical interlude. So we're singing, we're worshiping, we're, we're singing those first four verses, and then we're going to stop and the instruments are going to play. Right? Zach's going to slay a guitar solo for a minute. He's going to just play it out there. We're going to listen, we're going to keep worshiping. Might have meant that. Of the non-musical explanations, the most consistent one is that it was something they would say at this point. Um, it would be similar to someone saying "Amen," right? Somebody hear hear a good point? You say "Amen," except that it meant forever. It was it was kind of a way of agreeing. But it it was the word forever, like forever that's true. Yes, let that be true forever. I'm on board, amen, forever and ever. That right there, it may have been that. The thread that kind of ties all of these definitions together is the idea, don't be in a hurry when we're walking through this. Come on, let this sink in. Let let this settle into your heart. Respond. Don't don't just sit and hear the words go by. At this point, respond. Take a break. Pause. Let this get into your heart. Feel what we're feeling in this moment. Say forever. Say yes. Agree with that. Don't just just be passive. When we enter into the presence of God, we begin to worship Him. Don't just kind of sit back and go, that's nice. Don't don't sit back and critique everything. Well, this was good, but that wasn't really my favorite song. Pastor Ken didn't really have his A-game today. The, the, The sons of Korah say no. Bring you into what's happening. You respond. You interact. You be a part of this. Whatever the specific meaning of Selah, I think this word exposes... Some of how superficial our worship is in 2022. Some of how we do just kind of sit up, just kind of show up and go through the motions. Or we, we do kind of show up and just let everybody else do the stuff and we just kind of watch the stuff. We, we, we do show up and just kind of sit back and wait to be impressed or, or something. When the, when the psalmist would say, no, come in and sing when everybody sings. L- lift your hands when, when we lift our hands. Clap when we clap. Say forever. Say amen when, when we should say amen. Bring yourself to this moment. Not just sit back and watch. Bring your whole self to this moment and slow down. Pause. Take it in. Let it sink deep into your heart. Step into the presence of God. Verse 5, he goes on. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. Love that phrase. Blessed are those whose hearts are on, set on pilgrimage. In other words, they view their whole life as this moving towards God. Like they're, they're whole, wherever they are, their whole life is, how can I walk more closely with God? How can I move closer to God? How can I step in step with the Spirit of God? Blessed are those whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. They realize their spiritual life is not static. Their approach to spiritual things is not, you know, I've kind of been to church enough. I'm kind of happy where I am. I kind of know enough about God. I've kind of experienced enough of God. Their spiritual life never becomes settled. They never find a spiritual place where they just camp out and say, okay, this is who I am now. This is kind of what my relationship is. The psalmist says, blessed are those who are always walking towards God, who are always growing in the Lord, who are always learning Of the Lord, verse six. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. The valley of Baca was the symbol of hard times. It was a symbol of tears. It was a symbol of weeping. And here, the psalm writers—they have this desire to get to God, and yet they know part of this journey. That's blessed are those whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. Part of this pilgrimage is going to be hard. Part of this pilgrimage is going to bring tears. And, and he says, but you know, when, when your heart is set on the presence of God, when your desire is to be closer to God, what, what you will find is even in the hard places God meets us there. Even in the difficult parts of the journey, God walks with us. He refreshes us. He encourages us. He steps in and walks beside us. Even in those difficult moments, they can become a source of refreshing and energy. Listen, it's possible to be in a hard place and still be on the way towards God. It's possible. To be in a broken place and still be on the way towards God we often we often define difficult places as if we must be away from God or else this wouldn't be happening right we often define broken places as well I must be going the wrong direction and the psalmist says you know what sometimes you're going the right direction and it's just hard sometimes you're walking towards God and there's still tears Sometimes you're walking towards the presence of God and there's still brokenness. And even in those places, God can give you strength. He says that specifically in the next verse. They, those people who are journeying towards God, who are walking towards God, they go from strength to strength till each appears before God and sign. God's just constantly building them up. It's not that we don't ever feel weak. It's not not that we don't ever feel broken. He's already said that's going to be a part of it. But in those seasons, God's bringing them along. God's strengthening their heart. God's strengthening their spirit. They'll go from strength to strength as they grow in the Lord. Verse 8, hear my prayer. Lord God Almighty, listen to me, God of Jacob. Look on your shield, O God Look with favor on your anointed one. It's not uncommon in the Psalms in particular, but several places in the Old Testament, it's not uncommon for people to call out and ask God to listen to them or ask God to see them, which we already know God already listens to us, right? God already sees us. That that sort of cry is not for God. It's not because... God's attention has gone away from us. It's more for the person praying it. God, listen to me. God's already listening to you. God, look, God, don't lose sight of me. God doesn't lose sight of you. But God is okay if you and I, in our prayer, in our crying out to him, if we say, God, listen to us, God's fine with that. God's okay with that. It doesn't bother God that you feel as if he's not listening, even though he's listening. These psalm writers... They include this in Psalm 84. God, hear me. God, hear me. And God's God's already hearing them. He's already listening to them. And then we read, somewhat well-known verse, verse 10. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Appreciate the throwback worship song today from the worship band. If you, if you uh, remember the, the the old worship songs, Better One Day in Your House, right? Matt Redman's song, Better One Day. comes right out of this verse. And, and the sons of Korah says, I so much want to be in your presence. I, I, I so much want to be with your people. I want to I experience the, the corporate embodied worship of God with other worship believers i would take that one day over a thousand days anywhere else i just i just want to be in your presence and 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 he says look i I don't care where i stand if i have to stand in the back by the door don't care i just want to be in that room where your presence has come and your people are lifting your name up. i don't care if anybody knows my name that's what he's saying i'd rather be a door doorkeeper i'll just stand in the back i could be anonymous Nobody has to recognize me. I don't have to have a title. I don't have to have a position. No, no, nobody has to even speak to me. I, I just want to come into your presence. I want to be with you. This kind of expression from the sons of Korah takes on an interesting meaning when you know the, their backstory. The Korathites, or Korahites, they're called both, but it's just the same group, in, in Numbers chapter 4, Korah and his descendants are part of the Levites. The Levites are the priestly tribe, right? They lead the worship services. They care for all of the instruments, <clears throat> implements that are in the tabernacle. And then in the temple, in Numbers chapter 4, Moses gives Korah and his descendants the responsibility for the truly important Furniture and instruments that are in the tabernacle. And if you remember, in the tabernacle, they would pack it up and they would move it to another place and then they would set up their camp. And the responsibility of the Korites was whenever the nation of Israel began to move, the Hebrew children began to move to another place, they were responsible for the really important furniture in the tabernacle. And they would have to be very careful with it because you couldn't touch it. Right? This was a symbol of God's holiness. So they had to carry it in a certain way. They, they, they had to use certain implements to move it from one place to the other because they weren't supposed to physically touch it. Korah and his descendants were able to demonstrate time and again the holiness and purity of God. This is a, this is a pretty big deal. Like This is, this is an incredible responsibility that you're going to move like the Ark of the Covenant and the, and the, and the, the table that was in the, the Holy of Holies and the, and the candle. You, you're going to move all of that. And you've got you've to obey God in the way that you move it. And so Numbers chapter 4, God gives that responsibility to Korah and his descendants. Fast forward to Numbers chapter 16, and Korah wants a bigger job. So number 16, Cory gets all of his gang together and they go to Moses and Aaron and basically say, who do you think you are? You're not better than we are. We're just as good as you are. We want to be priests too. We want to be up on the platform. We want everybody to know our name. We want the really important jobs. And Moses is kind of caught off guard, and so he goes to talk to God about it. And it's kind of a long story, but read it in number 16, and then what what happens is God's not happy, and the earth opens up, and Korah and all his people get swallowed up by the earth, which is a bad day if you're Korah and his peeps, right? right? That's not the way you saw that going. But what we discover is not all of Korah's people were in on this coup. Like, they were not all trying to overthrow moses and aaron because decades later generations later there's a group of them writing worship songs called the sons of Korah, and they write psalm 80 if they write this power ballad about the the house of god and the presence of god and they say look god we we don't care where we stand like we're not like our descendants were we don't care what our role is like we don't we don't need a big name we don't need a big space we'll stand in the back we just desperately want to be in your presence we just so desperately want to come and sing your praises we want to hear the voices of other people who sing your praises we want to be in that crowded room of people who are lifting up your name in 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 the the backstory of their history. There was a whole group of people who got cut off from the presence of God. Swallowed by the earth. And generations later, here's a group saying, no, we, don't, we don't ever want to be those people. We don't ever want to be separated from you. We don't ever want there to be a divide. We don't want our pride or, or our ambition. We, we don't want anything to cut us off in the presence of God. I can't wait to get back there. Better is one day in your house than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Listen, here's a, here's a, one of the beautiful things the sons of Korah teaches us. No matter what's in your backstory, you're still welcome in God's house. No matter what's in your backstory. I mean, rebellion was in their backstory. Attempted coup against God's anointed leader Moses was in their backstory. And yet, a few generations later, man, they're walking right into the presence of God. They can't wait to get into the presence of God. Whatever's in your backstory. Whatever's in your past, whatever's downstream from this day for you, God is inviting you into His grace and His mercy and His forgiveness. God's calling you into His presence. And they couldn't wait to be there. Now, let's be honest for just a minute. And and let's try to be objective. And and I'm not trying to be critical and, and this... Don't perceive this as me lecturing or being uh, professorial or or trying to get on your bad side or anything like that. Let's just be honest. When you read Psalm 84, the way that this group of of, of worshipers felt about being in the house of God, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say, I don't see that a lot in people anymore. I mean, you're here, right? So, so not you, but... I, I don't see a lot of people who are just longing and yearning for an embodied worship experience where we stand beside each other and we sing and and we pray and we can't wait to get back and, and we just want to be in the house of God. I, I don't know that there's a lot of that two and a half years ago if you had asked me if I had heard every excuse for someone not coming to church I would have said yeah like five ten times I've heard all of them I was wrong (laughs) like the last two and a half years we have all these new categories of reasons people don't come to church now completely new categories of reasons why this person hasn't been back and that person won't ever go back and this person hardly ever comes back. And I I, I don't know if the sons of Korah can see us in 2022. I hope they can't. Because I think if they could, they would go, what are you doing? our whole world revolved around just getting to the presence of God and yeah the presence of God is everywhere he's omnipresent I get it but there is a presence of God when his people come together standing shoulder to shoulder and they sing together and they pray together and they share their life together and they weep together because some came this morning with broken hearts. There is a multiplied presence of God that doesn't happen like this anywhere else. And I, I don't know in our day, I don't know in our time, how many of us live with that sense of my. My heart aches to be back. My heart yearns to be back with your people in your presence. they They wrap this song up with the words, "For the Lord, God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does He withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. They want to be in the house of God because the Lord who is a sun and a shield would be there. The Lord who bestows good things on his people, a powerful sense of his presence would be there. What, What calls to our heart about being in the presence of God. Because again, maybe I'm way off base. I'm just not sure there's a lot of people that feel that sense of yearning. I feel it is much more common to find a million reasons to not be in his house. But I... I desire not only for my own heart to ache to be with God's people, but for there to be a group of people here that just love coming together. That just love singing together, praying together, sharing together, studying God's word together, whether it's 10,000 people or 200 people or 10 people, just some people who would say, God, we want to get back there. We want to be back there. We want to be in your presence with your people. For the Lord who is a son and a shield will be there. And look, I I, I, I understand the other side. Right? As a staff, we, we want to prepare for this day. We we want to pray through this day. I, I want to teach you as good as I can teach. The, the worship leaders, they want to lead as, as, as God has gifted them to lead. We, we want our children's ministry to, to be great. All of that is true. Yeah, yeah, we want to provide something that you want to come to. But if the driving force of coming together is not the presence of God, I promise you, we will never be able to get you to come in the way that you need to come. We dream up things to do and things to do after the service and things to do between the service because we want you to meet each other and we, we want you to hang out and we want to build that relationship but at the end of the day if the presence of God is not what is stirring your heart eventually we're going to run out of tricks. We we're going to we're going to run out of games. We're, we're going to run out of ways to attract you if your heart isn't just consumed with the glory of God to where you would say, I'll stand in the back if I have to stand in the back. I'll, I'll, I'll slip in and, and sit in a seat without my group if I have to sit in a seat without my group. I just want to be there. Whether Pastor Ken has his A-game this week or not, I just just want to be with God. Whether the band plays my favorite song this week or not, I just want to be in the presence of God. My soul needs it. When I walk through the valley of Baca, my soul needs it. When I'm broken, my soul needs it. When I'm rejoicing, my soul needs this. Needs it. I just want to encourage you from their voices, not from my voice, from their voices, who thousands of years ago said, I just, I can't wait to get back. I'm not not going today, but I can't wait to get there in a few days. May God birth that in us. May God energize that in us. May God show himself to us. God, we pray For our own hearts. We read these words from people who deeply, passionately loved being in your presence with your people. And when they weren't there, they were thinking about the day they got to go back. And they didn't care where they stood. Or who knew them or what position or title they had. They didn't care about any of that. They just came for you. And God, I I want us to be like that. I want to be like that. I want to so love the presence of God among the presence of God's people I'm just looking forward to getting back every week. Just looking forward to being back. Just looking forward to singing another song, praying another prayer, and hugging another neck, and shaking another hand. And I don't want to stand off to the side and observe. I I don't want to stand off and critique. I, I don't want to stand off and let somebody else worship. I want to be in. Completely captured by the presence of God. Stir in our hearts as we worship you now. In Jesus' name, amen.